You are now listening to the Hunter's Advantage Podcast. We preserve the history and sport of hunting through curious conversation and action-packed hunts, as well as offering you tips and strategy for more successful hunts. Welcome to the Successful Seasons series for the Hunter's Advantage podcast, where the whole goal of this series is to break down the tactics and reasons that folks are consistently successful in harvesting big whitetails, whether on public land or on private. We're going to dig into some of the highlights of these folks' successful seasons and then talk about some of the mistakes they made and how they would correct them. If you want to learn from some absolute whitetail killers from across the country, this is the series for you. Let's get into Successful Seasons. Welcome back to the Hunter's Advantage podcast. This is episode number 136, and I'm joined by some repeat repeat offenders on the podcast uh, from Whitetail Mission, Trey and Connor. What's going on, guys? How are you guys doing? Not good, bad, man. I'm doing good. You know, I was talking about this with Jake today. Um, deer season's finally over. I have my deer pression, but just like you guys had, I had a pretty good year, so I can I can sit back and relax a little bit now. Yeah, you had good. a great year. Yeah. I did. I had a y'all's Kansas experience was about the opposite of mine. You know, you brought, you brought two real nice bucks home and I, I got a nice European mountain sitting in the, on a cooler in there, but we'll, we'll get into that. But it was a, it was a good year overall. Um, so you guys are the second guest on this new series that we're doing called successful seasons. And really the goal of the whole series is just to break down tactics, reasons that folks are consistently harvesting big whitetails. And you guys have done that as a group um, in Kansas for a couple of years now. And we're going to dig into some of the highlights of this past season. But I want to start just a little bit broader. I had you guys on, man, I don't even remember how many episodes ago, but it was a, it was a while back. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, Whitetail Mission and the thought behind starting it and kind of what you guys are doing with the film and stuff before we get into it for maybe new people that are coming and listening? Yeah, uh, a lot of it was, I guess, my idea. I kept kind of bugging Connor, you know, about filming. Um, I was just something that I had always wanted to do. So I finally just bought the stuff to do it. And he, you know, jumped right in with me and bought some stuff. And we just got after it. You know, some of our early stuff is 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 not the, you know, most professional to watch. <laughs> but it, uh, I'm with yeah, you. I mean, we're still not there. But, but yeah, man, we just, uh, just a, couple of guys that wanted to start filming, not necessarily to try and get anywhere, just do it for fun and be able to have it and share it one of these days, you know, and, you know, if it ever gets us anywhere, awesome, great, you know, but yeah, we just enjoy it. It's definitely uh, added a bunch of elements to deer hunting, but it's so rewarding when it pays off and so fun, especially when you're together, you know, Mm -hmm. but yeah, just, uh, that was, that was my whole want to get into it. Yeah, at first he bought the camera and our first video that we have up is a, a doe hunt that we just filmed together and he was able to uh, fill a tag and then I got it all on film and it was kind of fun and I actually started using one of his backup cameras and I uh, was like, man, I could use a wireless remote and use a few things that would help and then when I used his camera set up, I was like, oh, this is a breeze because filming is difficult adds another element but it's fun but self-filming is a whole nother level oh my gosh and so that was when i was like i need to up upgrade some gear or else this is just going to be stressful and i'm not going to want to take it um 
And like, yeah, like you said, we started doing that because the goal is, I mean, it's always fun to tell hunting stories, but it's cool to be able to have visuals, you know, not only here's the story, but here you can watch the story. Um, and so really it started out where we could share it with friends, family, Trey can show his kids in the future. I'd like to show, you know, my kids. Um, so that way it's, you know, you can sit back and watch dad, you know, kill the biggest buck of his life on film. And it, it just kind of seemed like a cool idea and concept. And obviously YouTube's the easiest way to share all this. And so we've been doing that and kind of jumped into it and we've been having fun with it since and started going out of state, went to Missouri. Uh, just why not? Let's go see what happens and what we think. And then decided to put in for Kansas and it's been a couple great years going there. Yeah, that's funny. I always think, uh, self-filming like brings me back to reality. So like, I remember a story a certain way in my head and then I go watch it back on a couple different camera angles. I'm like, Oh, that's not what happened at all. I thought, I, I thought I smoked that deer. I thought this happened and it's crazy having that film and just not only being able to share it with each other, but I feel like from a hunting perspective, it's helped me make better decisions on when to go after deer, what actually happened and kind of rooted me back in reality. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Well, I know we're going to jump all into this, this, you know, Kansas stuff, but we were laughing because I was working on that footage the other day and I sent him the, the piece of footage where, you know, you see my arrow fly towards that deer. Dude, I had no idea that I hit that branch. I don't know if you noticed it or not. I didn't even notice that. I've watched that shot 10 times. Yeah. You watch that shot and that arrow that's 10, I mean, that limb that's 10 feet from me, dude, just, I mean, start shaking like crazy. And I was like, bro, I had no idea that I smacked that limb. And if you didn't have that piece of footage to watch, you'd never know those things, you know? No, that's, that's crazy. That's a really good example of that. Actually. Um, I was watching a couple of does that I shot this last, I don't know, right before Oklahoma season closed. And I was like, I hit them both like three inches below the spine. I was like, dude, what's up with that? I slowed it down. They were both like hitting the deck as, mm -hmm. as I shot. And I was like, Oh, that makes a lot more sense. I was going to go into the summer being like, you suck. You need to get better. But the camera brought me back to reality. And that was funny. like it. I watched that video. What weren't those both like 20 yard shots, 20, 30 yard shots, 20, 25. Yeah. yeah. So that just shows you how quick these animals are. And it really kind of puts things in perspective and helps you as a bow hunter to know that, I mean, it's not a rifle. So if you're, if you make a shot at 40, these deer can react quickly, especially if they're alert or if it's super quiet and they have time to maybe hear it compared to if it's a windier day and there's cover noise, uh, just gives you an idea to kind of make sure you can mentally prepare to make the best shot and the most ethical shot. Um, so it's a way to learn lessons too, because it really helps you learn the animals more because it's, I mean, we talked about this before we got on. I was a little late because of uh, practice today, but it's like watching film in sports. You watch mm -hmm. film so you can get better. Well, when you watch your hunts back, it helps you get better because you're like, oh, I could have done that or I should have done that. So uh, it's, it's really helping us learn from our experiences because we get to go wa watch back what was our process, what was our, you know, our thinking process, thought process on the decisions we make, and it helps you become more efficient later on. No, I, I mean, I definitely agree with that. So one of the things that we've been doing with the series is starting out on like a little bit of a lighter note with kind of a funny question. And I think you guys will enjoy this one, but this is purely hypothetical. Um, if your hunting partner, so Connor, Trey for you, Trey, Connor for you. Um, mm -hmm. if your hunting partner had to kill a mature buck and we're going to say Kansas, because this is where you guys spent a lot of time the last couple of years, he had all season to do it. And, but if he didn't do it with a bow on public land in Kansas, you'd never be able to hunt again. What is the likelihood in a percentage that you would, you think your partner would be able to get it done? Connor, go first. What do you think about it? I'm going to go. 
I, I'm, I'm a kind of person who believes that uh, nothing is 100% in life. But I'm going <laughs> to say uh, with Trey, I'd definitely go 90% chance. He has he gets quite a bit of time to get in the woods and knows what he's doing, especially now that we've got two years under our belt. Um, I would say he gets it done, uh, especially because, I mean, this year we'll get into the stories and all that. But, I mean, this year, after last year, learning experience, uh, I mean, this year, what, four hunts in, in Kansas, you get it done? Yeah, and they were on the first three, uh, three or four I went was in September. Like, it really only took me one hunt to kill a buck because early season we weren't even going to the spots that we knew we were going going we to, to buck hunt. Yeah, I was just bouncing around hoping to find something random trying to kill does, hmm. and found some really nice bucks that way. But as far as having a plan going in and it working, I mean, it took thirty minutes. It's really all it took. You know, beast mode. I'll, I'll go ninety percent and I'll give ten percent to you. Never know, buck fever can take over anybody. So or a branch or something crazy. Yeah, he gets his chance. Hundred percent gets his chance. Ninety percent that he gets it done. <laughs> all right, Trey, what do you got? Uh, yeah, you know, I kind of liked his answer because I agree with that. Nothing's nothing's a hundred percent, but I'm gonna say my luck's pretty good because. Connor gets it done even with limited time. He doesn't even get the time, you know, that I get to hunt, but somehow still gets in there and pulls it off. So yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to sweat that too bad. So, all right. That's what I like to hear. Um, so we talked a little bit about it in the preamble. You guys have hunted Kansas for a couple of years now. So you got somewhat of an experience. I think you went to the same general areas units, maybe expanded a little bit on what you did the first season, but, based on that first year when you guys were hunting going into this summer, when you drew out for Kansas, what was the goal? What were you guys trying to do? Did it deviate from what you were trying to do the first year? Um, I mean, I think our goal was just to try and learn more. You know, we, we scouted and uh, scouted a lot last year, but, um, our hunting was fairly small, you know, especially during the rut. Um, so we knew that where we were, we seen a lot of nice bucks last year, but we never seen like that, like that buck, you know what I mean? Um, we jumped one, one time, but we were just like, we know they're, they're out there. So we really did a lot of extra scouting this summer and hung more cameras and stuff like that. Just really trying to find other bucks. Um, and then honestly, hunting especially for me was still kind of small because i tagged out so quick you know mm. I, I bounced around a little bit in september but yeah connor did more you know november hunting than i i didn't go to kansas in november at all other than to go up there and help him with his buck and kill a doe but so he may be better suited for that question yeah i think once the season ended i told trey i said i think we're in really good areas but there are two things i, I kind of took away from the season one two years ago we didn't see a whole lot of people surprisingly because all that you mean you get online you read and it's just kansas is filled with non-residents filled with the residents having to hunt public um we didn't run into any of that so i was i was kind of wondering like hey year two is it gonna change or are we gonna do we just find this spot people aren't going to and uh yeah it changed <laughs> there were a bunch <laughs> of people so um our, one goal that we had was we wanted to expand for one to have backups so to go to and to look at if our place ended up being dead and ended up being filled with people. So we wanted to just expand. And the other reason too, is I kind of told Trey, which I mean, two years ago, I shot a really nice buck. Um, 
I don't even remember score if I'm being 100% honest. I know he was uh, gross, a little over 150, and he netted in the upper 140s, if I remember right. And Trey can tell me if I'm wrong, but I think that's right. And a great deer, best deer I've ever killed, um, best deer I've ever had a chance to shoot at. Um, but we wanted to find what he said is that buck. I said, we have our core areas that we know we could probably go back to, and as long as it's not getting overpressured, they're probably going to be good. But we didn't see what I would call that buck, that 160 plus, the one that's just like, oh my goodness, like this is this is Kansas. This is uh, what we, you know, buck of a lifetime. Um, we jumped one, and that's mm-hmm. the buck. I mean, we still talk about him. We're like, dude, he had tines, he had width, height, mass. Like it was that buck. Um, but we knew every pro- like our, we're in. We believe even some of those that have almost no woods. We believe almost every prop public property in Kansas has that buck walk across it. Might just be one day of the year cruising, or he might live there. But we believe that there's just enough big deer in Kansas at some point there's going to be a buck move through. And so we wanted to expand where we were to kind of get an idea of what kind of deer are in certain areas and these units were in. And so we scouted a lot more. We had more cameras spread out. We still have cameras to get because of that. Um, (laughs) But we wanted to have an idea that way, even if it wasn't this year that we get on them, we can maybe get Intel. So going into year three, if we put in and get drawn, then we'll know like, dude, we never hunted that property, but that's a property we should probably go to. Um, so really our goal, I think was just try to learn more. Don't just think, Hey, we found it. We found spots that work and then settle for those because with that, I mean, you never know, like if it's a Weehaw property, it might not be a Weehaw property the next year. That owner might say, nah, I'm not doing it anymore. Um, so we didn't want to just rely on the few properties we had and then maybe have some disappear and be limited. We wanted to try to expand ourselves. Right. And, and not only that, if you're not moving, you're not growing, you're not learning, you know, so, I mean, staying where we're at, yeah, we're probably going to see nice bucks. But like he's saying, if something happens to that, then we're SOL. Like, oh, where do we go now? Like, you know, I'd rather have a whole lot of backup spots, you know, where we know we can go see nice deer. Um, and we didn't even get to make it to several of the places that we looked at and had marked. There was a couple of places I really wanted to go, man. I felt like they were those places that if you were there on the right day, you know, but like I said, I, I tagged out so quick, then, you know, all of my time was spent here in Oklahoma, but I'm hoping if we draw next year, you know, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'd love to tag out quick again, but if not, <laughs> I'm excited to go look at some of those spots, you know, and, and yeah, the pressure, I didn't have to experience that, you know, he did. Um, but I think a lot of what helped us, man, is, you know, water and that, that's kind of hurt us this year because there was no water, you know, not everybody's going to go boat way back into places, but some of the places that we were boating into, you know, last year before last, you could walk to this year. I mean, you could walk right across some of that stuff. So I think that's why we were seeing some of the pressure that we were, because they were coming from where a guy would have to boat from, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? So if the water was there, them guys probably wouldn't have been there. Um, But yeah. So I'm hoping, you know, that next year there's water and we don't have that issue. That's what I'm hoping. I noticed if, if we draw. I noticed in the video that you killed your deer, you were walking in a creek that looked like a U, and I was like, dude, if that had water, that'd be like six, seven foot deep. And you yeah. were just yeah. across it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It and we were laughing because we were like, you know, people are gonna notice. Like I kayaked in that morning and then we carted him out, you know. 
Um, but that was the first time that I had been there. And last year that was all covered in water. I didn't realize how low the water was when I boated in that morning, I was planning on boating, you know, within, I figured I could get within a hundred yards of where I was going to hunt. And dude, I didn't make it 600 yards from where I was going to hunt. And I hit bottom and I was like, Oh shoot, like this sucks. And so I basically just had to park the kayak right there and walk a long ways back in, you know, to where I was going. And then once I, you know, had shot the buck and then when I decided to get down and walk out of there, then I could actually see, you know, and I was like, Oh my God, there's no water in here. I was like, a guy could walk right across the upper end of it. So, um, we, uh, yeah. So I just took everything back and it, you know, had there been water all the way up in there and I could have got him on that kayak, it would have been way easier to get him out versus a cart. But I just thought I would have had to have drug him hundreds of yards and then got him on a kayak and then boated him a hundred, several hundred yards. It was just easier for him to bring the cart and, you know, do it that way. What's funny is, I mean, water played a role in the sense of two, um, deer change patterns, whether it was movement or where they could get to water. Cause obviously, you know, food, water, you know, cover all that. Um, but Kansas had, in which we experienced it too, but Kansas's drought was so bad. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it was insane. And it made me think, I just pulled it up cause I was curious. Uh, I was eating in a restaurant with my wife the other day and I overheard this guy talking to his buddy about bird hunting in Kansas. And he's like, dude, it's been awful this year. It's so dry in Kansas. Four inches of rain since January, dry. Cactuses wouldn't even survive. It's so dry. You take your clothes off and you're just covered in dirt, dust. He said, at one point, I swear I cried dirt out of my eyes. And I was like, that was literally our season. It was just so dry everywhere. Creeks, ponds, everything. So if you found water at times, it'd be covered in tracks because mm-hmm. it was nowhere. It was it was crazy. So I think... I think that's definitely true. And I want to get into a little bit of the water access and the kayaking and the kind of the stuff you guys do. Cause I think that's somewhat unique to um, y'all style, but I think successful seasons start way before the deer season, right. And the planning and the preparation, mm-hmm. you guys said that you expanded your trail camera lineup and, and heck you still have more in the woods to this day because of that. What did you get? What was the strategy with your trail cams and, and what role do you think that played with kind of, getting the right pictures and putting you guys in the right areas for the fall. I think when we, when we set a trail camera, um, the, the issues, especially like some of these properties you can go to in the summer, some we went in September and it isn't really, we don't put it on sign all the time. I mean, you might put it on a, a scrape or something, you know, that, you know, you'll get pictures on, but when you're doing early in the year, if it's a camera that we plan to leave, and we want to probably leave it all season. It's potentially a camera. We may not even hunt that property, but you're going to go back and get it at the end of the year. You don't think like, ah, oh, the deer are here right now. You're looking for where are the deer going to be when it's October, November. Um, because summer pictures are great. tells you what's there. But, I mean, you know just as well as I do that deer change patterns. October, oaks come into play. November, where, where are the funnels that they're going to be cruising in and that you think the rut activity is going to be? Where's all the old rut sign? And so early season stuff, it's not, ah, we want to go here because they're working the edge of this bean field. Not saying you can't get pictures through October and November at the edge of a bean field. I 100% think you can. But there are areas that I think we put, we try to put them in that we know we're going to get more pictures in when we could actually kill that deer compared to 
the summertime. Um, and then we just tried to hang as many as we could for that reason, just to kind of see, like we said, what do these properties hold in different areas? Cause, um, no matter what units you draw in Kansas, you got a lot of land to work with. Mm-hmm. And so we don't want to just be in such a small area. So we kind of expanded and spent a lot of gas when gas wasn't cheap. And <laughs> luckily it paid off. We were able to put a couple bucks down. Yeah. I think that was, that's, that's kind of always been our, our main goal. Even, even here, you know, we mm-hmm. try to put them where, you know, we think they're going to be while we're hunting them. And even if you don't get to hunt those spots, you know, um, you get to go back later and pull that camera and you might see that for two weeks in November, you know, from the 13th through the 22nd, you know, there was seven different mature bucks, you know, in and throughout there. So that's just Intel for next year. You know, like he was saying, it's cool to get them in a bean field or something, but you know, most likely we're going to be hunting them in November. We don't get to spend a ton of time up there early season. So that's how, you know, we look for that rut sign and places that are going to pinch them down where we think they're going to be in the rut. And so far it seemed to work, you know, I I do think we made a mistake with one camera this year. We got a camera that we put up and we're like, man, this is going to get pictures. And it ended up being what I'd call, I mean, we had some good bucks on it, but it wasn't like a bunch of deer. And I feel like with that one, looking back, we were like, man, we probably should have put it in a couple other different areas. Um, and we just pulled that one, but we still found out like there's quality bucks there. And that was a thing. The one thing about that camera is, is it didn't get a ton of pictures, but when it went off it, every picture, I swear that had a deer in it when we we're going through them, it was a good buck. And right. so we knew, we, we knew we had, we should have a ton of pictures. Um, and that's why, why you do it though. Cause then you learn, Hey, you know, next year, maybe we move it over here onto this Oak flat or we move it on this pinch between this Creek and this, you know, hillside, whatever it might be. Um, so that, does it always work? No, but when it does, it gives you good intel. And if it doesn't work, I, I still think you're learning because it gives you an idea that, hey, that ain't the place or that ain't the spot on that property. And then you learn from that and put it somewhere else. One of the interesting things that happened to me this year with trail cameras um, was we had a spot in the summer. Where we jumped up like three big bucks in a bachelor group. And I was like, right here, baby. But it was like three, 400 yards from a parking lot. And we're like, that's all right, you know, like, it'll probably be okay. So we, we, it was on, it wasn't on a really popular road or anything. So we're like, we'll probably be pretty good. So we got all of our good pictures in there in the summer. Like we scoured that place, three, four, five, six trail cameras. And as we were leaving, I had this old Primos camera, like one of the ones that you have to like uh, code the SD before it goes into the camera or like it won't put the date on it or whatever. And the strap was broke. So I just tied it in a knot and I put it like 10 foot up in the air, looking down on this parking lot. I'm like, let's just see like how many people are coming in here, you know, just, just to get us some Intel. Well, we had in like a one month period, there was like 30 different vehicles that came into that parking lot. And I was like, not only can you use trail cams to find big bucks, that was our trail cam that told us never come here again. (laughs) This this is nuts. Those deer were gone. Didn't get another picture of them. That camera that he was just talking about, dude, it's what? One point something miles. Almost just under a mile and a half. And it's probably the way the spot that we put it in, because it's kind of the guy probably had the same idea we did. He walked in there and he saw the sign, he saw the scrapes and was like, Oh, I'm going to get pictures right here. Cause that's kind of what we did, you know? Um, and cause it's in kind of like a little clearing, um, 
that's just surrounded by a creek and a bunch of, you know, oaks and cedars and whatnot. And we kind of walked out in it, not really looking to put a camera in it, but there was a tree out there that's big as a football that was just shredded from the previous year. And there's two limbs hanging off of it that are twisted and broke. And you can tell, see the, you know, old scrapes. And we're like, okay, we may not get a lot of pictures, but we're going to get the pictures, you know? But again, it's kind of in an obvious spot, but we were like, bro, it's over a mile back in here. Like, it'll be fine. You know, he went to check it for me one time in October or November and somebody had put a camera five feet from it (laughs) and on the same scrapes. And I was like, oh, well, man, he earned it, you know, which ours was up high. So I don't think this dude ever saw it, but (laughs) we were walking up to it and I was with my dad and he's like, hey, there's a camera right there. And I was like, what the heck? It was literally just a tree over. Right. I was like, I don't think they saw ours. I mean, if they did, I mean, public land, you can put whatever you want out there, but right. it was just kind of funny that you're well, just when you think you get away from people, then all of a sudden you're like, Nope, there's somebody there, which the opposite side of that. One of my favorite cameras this year, and we only hunted it once at the end of the year, which is a funny story. We don't know if you want to say we hunted it. We sat for an hour and a half and I forgot I had a Christmas party. Um, oh, uh, I had a camera probably what? 150 maybe 150 yards from a parking lot and uh and i will guarantee you i I mean i'm willing to bet my season on it nobody hunted it nobody i had a camera in there all season it's very small and if like if somebody was going to go in there i would say they almost have to walk by my camera and i had deer daylight dark all season long and every and there were some rubs. So I was like, hey, maybe some good bucks th- go through here. And there's a couple on there that I've, I've got on my list for next year. Because I checked it when we hunted it around Christmas. I was like, I haven't checked this camera all year, dude. And I pulled it. And I just started sending in picture after picture. And I was like, dude, they fly through this place. And people are parking right there. And nobody's hunting this. So I'm excited to give it a go next year. Um, because uh, it's one of those that I think just gets overlooked. And people don't expect much from it. And so it's kind of funny. We go a mile and a half and we run it. Some other guy puts his camera there. You walk 150 yards and nobody even goes in there. But that comes back to why we put out so many cameras this year, you know, cause that was one of the areas that we had just driven by it, going to hunt and seen deer right there all the time, right there at that little spot. And so we were just curious. So he stuck that camera out there and there are deer there all the time. And we didn't have one single picture of a person. And, but you know, had we not went and put a bunch of cameras out this year, we wouldn't know that, you know, I guess we could have went and hunted it and, you know, got lucky and found out, but now we know, you know? Yeah. I know you guys only had like, what was it? Like one trail camera, your first year that you went up there, one or only two, one. something like that. Yeah. One trail camera that <laughs> I think that's so funny, but one of the things I, I love about the cameras and like, we're real big on putting like one year we put out like 25 on one piece of public in Oklahoma is the thing I always tell Jake is I was like, when you're at home, like snoozing and you get tired, I was like, those cameras never get tired. They're out there working overtime seven days a week, like mm-hmm. just there working. And it's like, if I could derive one good picture from each camera, I can learn something about mm-hmm. a spot. And it's like those cameras, apart from the expensive batteries, they're not doing me any good in the, in the garage or anything like that. So I, I was happy to see that you guys expanded your camera lineup. I mean, you got it done before the cameras, but you got it done with them too. And you probably learned some things. Oh, yeah. Sure. And I know some people and some people listening might not agree. Don't like the whole trail camera thing. 
to me, if it's if it's there, if it's legal and it's a tool you can use, why not use it? Um, and I know Kansas is talking about doing away with all cameras, trail cameras on public land that starting that starting next year. I haven't heard if that's official or not yet. Um, if it is, I mean, we won't use them. That you know, you're not supposed to. Um, but if I can use them, it's one of my favorite parts because I you can't watch every place all season long. It's impossible. But I like to be able to know because it gives me a reassurance of. I think this would be a good spot. I've done my map scouting. I've put boots on the ground. Even if I don't know that I'm going to come in here and hunt it, that camera tells me at the end of the year, hey, you did what you're supposed to. You've got it figured out. So now I can recreate that. All right, I'm looking for an inside corner that's got oaks, uh, that has a pinch between a, whether it's you know t- topography with a hillside, with a creek or something, and I'm probably going to get deer there. And I can replicate that on several properties because that camera told me. And so now I can try that at other places to see if it's going to work. Um, so yeah, we, we use trail cameras and if people are against them, that's fine. Uh, but I, th- I think it's a tool that can help you. And it's just like you said, one picture can show you something and teach you something and help you learn. And that's obviously the goal every season, whether I tag out or not, I want to learn something new. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I definitely admire that. That's, that's the right attitude to have, I think with this. Um, so, the series is, success, is successful seasons. You guys had a couple of them. Let's let's dive into a little bit of the success that you guys had. Um, I know you guys had some last year, but this year, Trey, you kicked it off in a big way in in mid October. Can you tell the audience a little bit about that hunt and kind of what your strategy was? Yeah. Um, so I killed that buck in the same area that Connor killed his buck last year um, at a different spot. It was a spot that I had went into last year. What was it the week after you shot your buck? Um, I think we talked about it on the first podcast we've done with you that I had shot one through the brisket. Um, yep. And uh, it was that same area. And when I went in there that day, it was, like I said, like the second week in November. And that place was ripped to pieces. I'm like, you couldn't look a direction without seeing a rub or a scrape, you know. And I saw that one buck that I shot in the brisket and saw another decent buck that night. And then I hunted it, gosh, multiple times over the next two weeks. And I never saw another buck there. Um, that just blew my mind. So I told him last year, I was like, dude, I think we just missed it right there. Like we were just a little late right there. Um, so this year we put a camera over there, um, had several nice bucks on it, including the one that I, you know, shot, um, since September, I mean, we had pictures of him right. in velvet. And then when we first saw him, and, I mean, you've seen the pictures of him. He's got that eye guard split. He's easily noticeable. Yeah. And uh, just north of that. And so we were like, he's in the area and he was a frequent flyer. Like right. every evening through September, right at, right at last light, he was coming through. So we knew it was a buck we had a good chance with. But that, that was on your camera. And we mm-hmm. didn't even know that until after I shot him. Yeah. Um because I wasn't getting him on mine and I only got what one or two pictures of him. Yeah. And then I he was gone yours all the time. Yeah. So you know, I had no idea at, you know, this point. So, um, we just knew he was in the area, him and a couple other nice deer. So I went in there in September, um, and there was no sign, you know, which is to be expected, you know, it's September, but, there wasn't no sign, you know, there was quite a bit of poop and tracks and stuff. Um, cause there's a bunch of does in there, but 
I told him, I said, I'm leaving and I'm not coming back until they're signing here, you know, and I really think I'm going to check it late October because I feel like that's when it hit last year. We were just a little late. So I had planned to take off some on that last week in October. Well, it was like the, I don't know, the 15th or the 16th. And I seen that we were getting that temperature drop that was going all the way down to like 20, you know, and it was really hot. You That's know, really good that. for October. Right. Yeah. Um, we got yeah. a really hard cold snap this year. And so I told him, I was like, I know it's kind of early, man, but I'm thinking about going, you know, I think I took off, I think Wednesday wasn't the 19th and I took off the rest of that week to hunt. Um, so I left home Tuesday night at like 11 o'clock and I didn't get in Kansas until like three something. And I literally slept like 30 minutes, but I thought, <laughs> you know what, I'm going to boat in there and try, um, and see if, uh, see if the sign's there. So again, I ended up having to walk way in there. Um, like I said, cause I took a different way that morning and it did not pan out. Um, so I had to park the kayak, walk in there and there were deer in there. The moment I got in there, like there were eyes under the tree that I set in. So I, you know, had to creep my way in there, still got in the tree before it got light, but I could hear deer everywhere. And once it started to get light, I had a couple of does come through. I think I couldn't quite tell before I could even get camera light. And I got to looking and I could see a couple of rubs. So then I started feeling like, Oh boy, like there was one cedar rub. It wasn't very far from me. That was just shining. And I was like, okay, they're here, you know? And, you know, so literally 20, 30 minutes after light, I had that doe come through and, disappear behind me and about the time I was fixing set back down I heard walking coming from back the way she came and I thought oh, she's coming back for whatever reason and I turned around and saw him and I was like that's not her and uh, um, he walked right through the same gap she did at 30 yards and the rest is history after that but I think my strategy for him was just knowing from last year that that place was destroyed during November and seen a couple of nice bucks and didn't see crap after that. So I thought, well, maybe, maybe we was just a little late, you know? And I think that was the case. Like I said, I, I think I hit it at the right time and I'm sure that cold front helped. I'm sure that had him on his feet, you know, but the, they were just starting to really lay the sign down in there when I went in there. The Hunters Advantage podcast is powered by Out on a Limb Manufacturing. Out on a Limb is a family-owned company based right here in Oklahoma that makes tree stands, saddle platforms, climbing sticks, and so much more. Christian, I have a quick question. What's that? What bites sound harder, a hippo or an alligator? No idea. It's a trick question. The Ridge Runner 2.0 bites harder than both of them. But all jokes aside, we use these products all across the land on public or private. These help us get into any tree we want and hunt where the deer actually are. Most men go to the grocery store for their meat, but these products help you go to God's grocery store. I have used the Out on a Limb Ridge Runner 2.0 and the Shakar Sticks for the last few years hunting public land bucks, and I've actually shot several bucks out of this setup. If you want to support the podcast and get some Out on a Limb equipment, make sure to go to outonalimmfg.com and use code HNTA10 for 10% off at checkout. Once again, if you want to support the podcast, Go to outonalimmfg.com and use code HNTA10 at checkout for 10% off. Now let's get back to the podcast. Yeah, you had a really good 
mid October when you shot that buck. I was on a I was hunting mid October in Kansas and had about a 125 inch buck come in last light mm-hmm. and couldn't really see my pin. So I was like, I'm gonna pass. But I I was really impressed with uh Kansas in mid October. Like I don't know why, it's, but it just seems like you you can kill a good good buck in mid October on the right cold front in Kansas. Oh, definitely. I told him next year if if we get lucky enough to draw out, I don't. I really think I'm going to take my vacation different because I went multiple days this September just on the weekends, just driving up there for a day, and man, I seen three bucks in a couple of different trips that were all bigger than the buck I shot, and. Um, like I said, it just didn't work out on any of them, but, uh, so I really think, you know, a guy could kill a big one in September. Um, and then those early season patterns and you don't have the pressure from people as much. Right. Right. They have the muzzleloader season, but most guys, especially the locals are like, I hunted like four different days and I never ran into another person. I did see other people hunting one or two other trucks, but as far as like, somebody being in my spot, I didn't have any issues. Um, but yeah, like he said that the pressure is just not there. And even in October, man, I think Kansas is a pretty high draw state. You know, a lot of guys are drawn in. So a lot of guys aren't coming until November. Everybody wants to come the first two weeks in November, um, which is the issue he ran into. So from what I've seen in September and late October, I think a guy could easily kill one in September on an early season pattern. Or if you, again, if you can run cameras and you kind of know where some bucks are, just wait on that first October cold front and, you know, get in there. And I think you can do it, you know? And then if, if not that, then I think I would come later in November because it seems like the last couple of years, we have had some really good hunts you know, like starting like after the 13th, 15th, you know, plumb up to Thanksgiving. I mean, he killed his buck, what, almost the 20th, 18th, 19th? 19th, 19th. after yours. Yeah, and yeah, so, and there wasn't as much pressure then. So I really think you might be doing yourself a disservice coming those first couple of weeks. <laughs> I mean, a guy can still go in there and kill one easily. I'm just saying you are going to fight with a lot more people and, you know, which again, that might get the deer up and moving more. There's more people in the woods, but I'd rather, you know, hunt not so pressured deer. I think, I think that's the boat that, that we're into. Like we were, um, we were there, like we hunted hard in the early part of the season. So like two times, two like extended weekends, like three, four day weekends in September, like, and then early October. And it was like, it was like a deer haven. Like even on the 80 degree days, we were seeing, um, like the first morning we sat in Kansas over beans, it was like, we saw like 28 deer. And I was like, dude, it's like, it's like 85 degrees. No people on these little walk-in areas, no people on the big WMAs and the deer's moving. Just like you said, Connor, there's no cumulative pressure that's been in on these places unless people have been scouting. Right. So it's like, these deer are just chilling. And I, it's, it's so different. Cause in Oklahoma, it's like, you're not going to have that. A lot of places, you're not going to have that big ag, those like Kansas, like crop rotation and the way that they put care into that. It's like, it feels like you're hunting private with all the ag they have. It's like, it feels like cheating. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's part of why we love it. But yeah, I, um, September, I enjoyed it. Like I really did. I, because like you were saying, they're not that pressured and it's so easy to kind of just look at the map, 
you know, look at what's there and base your decision off of that. There was one hunt I had um, at a spot I had never hunted and I had just texted him and told him, I said, you know what? I'm going to go try it. We had talked about trying it before and there was a big green bean field right there and all the other bean fields in the area were kind of dead, you know, having no water this year really hurt them. Um, and there was probably, probably a 30 acre cedar thicket that butted up against this bean field. And there's a Creek that runs along the edge of the field and the thicket, And then across the Creek, um, which you, even with low water, you couldn't cross this year if you wanted to. Um, and there's a big thicket that we actually hunted last year on that side. So we know there's deer over there. So, um, like I said, so I, I decided to go in there. I walked in there and jumped a bunch of deer. I just saw white tails go through that thicket everywhere. And I was like, well, that's a good sign, I guess. Um, but I set up right on the edge of that that evening. And I thought, man, if he's if there's one bedded in this thicket, he's going to come right here. And sure crap and enough. Um, I had a little yearling come out from the creek and pop up. And I was watching her and heard something and looked over. And there's a really nice buck at like 30 yards coming through and it was starting to get kind of a little light, but still shooting light. And I drew back on him and dude, it was like one of those like sixth sense moments. Like he just knew because the wind was perfect and everything. And he just kind of, kind of started freaking out a little bit and turned. And there was one hole I tried to stop him in and I was going to let her fly. And he bolted and I didn't get to shoot him. And I, sent a message to Connor and I was like, just missed an opportunity at a really nice one. Watched the footage later. And uh, I told him, I was like, I'm kind of glad he ran. I think that was some September buck fever there because he was probably like a pushing 128 point, you know, but still a really nice buck. But, you know, I, I found two that were together in September bedded, um, bedded in a thicket between a bean field and a cornfield. Um, and they were two massive bucks and I was standing 20 yards from them looking at my map and cause it was blowing so hard that day. I was just still hunting through this place, just wanting to look at it. Cause Connor had looked at it and I hadn't, um, he looked at it and, last year and I jumped a bed of buck right? And also on that property last year. So I had just seen a couple of does go through and was looking at the map because they had crossed a pretty big open area and were headed into the strip of timber. And I was actually going to look at where they might be going and try to get around them. So I'm standing there looking at my phone and I just hear some commotion and I look over and all I see is antlers, dude, just getting out of this thicket. One of them jumps up and looks at me. The bigger one isn't even wasting time. He's just out of there. They both hop the fence out in the cornfield and they run 400 yards across this cornfield into another, um, into another, piece of timber and then the only other good one i seen in september um i just picked the wrong way to walk in man i picked the wrong way and i walked 20 yards with the, of that dude he was laying on the edge of a bean field in some like tall yellow grass and i just happened to out of the corner of my eye catch movement and look over and it was just his horns whipping around in that grass and he the moment he saw me i saw him and he jumped up and bolted out of there but he looked a lot like that buck connor killed last year just times for days and uh, i was like you dummy because after that <laughs> it all made perfect sense i was like of course they're bedded like that why would you walk in like that because because you just jumped two bucks bedded close to ag on another <laughs> property 
And I, I mean, but really in all seriousness for early season, and I know we're getting slightly sidetracked, but early season, that's the ticket. Find a thicket close to ag set up somewhere where you think they're going to move from the thicket to the ag and you've got them. Now you might hunt that on a Monday and nothing comes out of that thicket. Go back on a Tuesday and two studs come out of it. But every deer that we, we jump will be in thicket because like you mentioned, it'll get 85 degrees. So when it's the middle of the day and that sun's at its highest point, they go up into that shady thicket and they'll bed and it's close to ag and they'll just chill in there, get up, walk around in the thicket in the shade as cool as it can be. You, a lot of times near water or low spots because um, it'll be a little cooler there. And then when the sun starts going down, they pile out in those bean fields. And that's where we didn't do this, but we want to trying to go up and just glass properties. Cause if you can find, Hey, he's been in this bean field, two days in a row and he goes into that thicket, you can, I think, honestly get on a buck that's oh, still on his summer pattern mm-hmm. easily in September. It just takes a little bit of gas to go up there when you're like, I can't even hunt him. Or if you go up there for, like you said, an extended weekend or something, that first evening maybe, and it sounds like a waste, but it may pay off instead of jumping into the woods, just drive, look at a bean field for a bit, go to another bean field, go to another bean field. Because then I think it honestly could be a ticket to – watching a buck that's doing the same thing every day, going to the same bean field on that same pattern with no pressure. And then you can make a plan to get on them and I think get it done. Cause every one of those deer close to ag bedded and often bedded where they can see people come in, depending on which way they oh, come that, in, obviously. That, that last buck definitely was, you know, I mean, cause he, you could tell that the way that I walked in was the way that pretty much everyone else walked in um, and had looking at the map, there was a way better way to walk in. I should have come from the South side of it would have been, but he was laid looking out into that bean field and had, you know, the Creek bottom and the woods behind him just laying on the edge right there, you know, and you know, he just comes in and out of that in the evenings or the morning, whatever. But had I come in from the way I should have come in and set up on the corner that I did, he would have come out there just like those does because some does come out that were just down from him that I ended up not making it down to and spooking because I spooked him, you know, and that's just, you're kicking yourself at that point. Cause you're like, golly, man, he would have come right out here with them, you know, but eh, that's how you learn, you know, but anyway, sorry, getting sidetracked there. No, I, I like talking about early season Kansas. I probably spent three hours talking about it with Jake the last couple of weeks. We're like, man, we could have got it done. Like Jake passed like a mid one twenties eight. And at the end of the season, when he was, had his tag soup. He was like, that was the dumbest thing ever. Like I had one come by at 30 yards and these beans like September in Kansas. He's like, that would have been awesome. But I convinced myself that I wanted to hold out for an absolute giant. But, um, anywho, so you had really early season success. Like mm-hmm. I would call mid October pretty early, even though Kansas opens in September. Right. Connor, you had a little bit of a different experience. Um, Talk about a little bit of the headspace that you were in, some of the experiences that happened before you shot your buck in the first part of November, and then ultimately how you got it done. Yeah, so uh, we went up in September a little bit, and I didn't have the same success. We tried a few different things in September, uh, and I actually ran into people when I went in September and some of the areas that we wanted to be in. And so uh, early season didn't quite work out. I went back in October a few times, um, And then this year my dad put in, so I hunted with him quite a bit in October and we were kind of trying to figure it out. And October 
I mean, it was one of those where we would be in areas. You could tell we were in the right areas, but we weren't getting on big bucks. And we didn't go a ton. We just went a few times in October. And our vacation that we had both taken was in early November. Because last year, it's when we had the success. That first, that uh, was it Halloween, I think even last year. Mm -hmm. We went from the week before, not a lot of bucks, to we saw seven bucks, not all, not necessarily they're all big bucks or anything, but we just saw seven bucks in one morning sit on wow. Halloween last year. And then November 4th, we saw our first good buck. November 5th, I shot my big buck last year and we saw other bucks and it was like, okay, this is when we need to be back. So that's when we took our vacation and we saw more people than deer. Like it was unreal how many people we were running into on every property. Um, had a camera set up and planned to go hunt into an area, got in there and there was a guy's tree sat, uh, saddle in a tree that he'd left literally five feet from my camera, just left it up in the tree. And I was like, well, there's people hunting in here. And we, when you check, we check some of our cameras throughout the year, just to kind of the ones that we, you know, happen to go by, check them. And we had pictures of people and it was just kind of getting frustrating to, okay, this is what the Kansas I've heard and read about. So then we started looking at maps and trying to decide what should we do to get away from people. We haven't had a ton of big buck sightings. Um, this is why we expanded. This is why we scouted. What should we do? And we ended up going up to a property um, that was a couple hours north from where we'd been. And we got there. And this was a property that Trey and I hunted last year, I would say November 20th, maybe a little later than that. It was that last, it was one of the 20th days. Um, so you're kind of getting closer to Thanksgiving. You're getting after what people would call the main portion of the rut. We walked into this property and it was scrapes and rubs everywhere. And I'm talking hardwoods, big as round as your thigh shredded every tree that could have a scrape had one. And it was just like, man, we needed to be here two weeks ago. Um, so going into this season, that's a property we remembered and, uh, we had a few cameras put up there, check the cameras. And when we said we wanted to find that buck, well, I'd say that buck was at that property. The biggest buck we had on camera this season was there and uh, never saw him. Hope, hoping he's alive. Fingers crossed we get him next year. I attempted uh, to kill him early season. And right. ran into somebody. Right. I literally went opening. No, it was the, the 13th. It opened on the 12th. And my first time in Kansas, it's almost a four-hour drive from my house. And I left so early dude like 12 30 one o'clock oh. and i left i drove all the way there and i'm getting out of my truck and because we had just checked this camera and this deer's there quite a bit we're talking 160s plus 10 point big old buck and um i get there i'm getting ready and a guy on his gator comes driving by and when he gets to me he kind of slows down and then he speeds up again and takes off. And I hear him stop at the bottom of the hill. And I'm like, bro, you better not be going in there. Because it's a smaller property. And if you look at the map, there's really one spot that you're just kind of like, I should be right there, you know? And so I'm like, whatever, I'm just going to go. So I drove almost four hours and I walk all the way in there. And I get a little turned around that morning. My on X was like spinning circles. I could not for whatever reason. And I'd never walked in there in the dark before finally made my way over to where I was going. And I was like 40 yards from our camera. And I was like, to the point where I'm like, okay, trying to pick a tree out, you know? And I hear, Hey, and I was like, what the heck? <laughs> and I, I was like, kind of stop and listen. And he goes, Hey, 
I'm in here. And I was like, <laughs> me too. Right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, Where you at? Let me come sit with you. You know, but uh, I was like, all right, man. And so I just turned around and walked out. But that was the start of my Kansas season. So I guess technically I did have one experience in September that was kind of sucky, but you know, whatever. He beat me. Actually, he didn't beat me. He took me <laughs> his, his gator beat you. Yeah, he faster exactly. once he got out of there. I think I ha- he already had that stand set. Yeah, I have. I have to add on to that because I have a. Su- I'll make it brief, but I have such a similar story to that. I walked in like a mile into a place um, mm-hmm. one day, and like I walked into this place so thick, like you could barely walk through where there's head halt, head tall grass grew up in, and I was like, this is not not what I was looking for at all. And it's like going light. It was during that daylight savings time. So I lost an hour and I was like an hour late to getting out there. Mm-hmm. And I sat down on a Creek bank and I was just like huffing and puffing. Cause like you said, it was hot in early November mm-hmm. and I was just sitting there. <sighs> Cause I got like 30 pounds of stuff on my back and I just hear, Hey, you going to sit right there. I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and a guy's like, you going to sit right there. And I was like, uh, no, man, I didn't even know you were there. I'm going to, I'll move. And he goes, I think you should. But he said it in like a tool bag way. And I was like, my hunt's already run, brother. Don't speak to me like that. <laughs> I, I will walk here with the wrong wind. He walked in the wrong wind direction, like all through the bedding. I was like, first of all, your hunt's already over. You just don't know it yet. Yeah. But God, it was so that those stories are so funny. Some people. Yeah. Connor. So what were you, what were you saying? You went well, to the same property that he had an experience like that on. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a property we'd looked at last year and, um, so my dad and I went there the uh, maybe week, week and a half before this, and we pulled in, got ready. We're the only ones there. We literally are sitting in the truck. It's freezing cold. We're like, all right, 25 to mile hour north wind with 40 mile hour gusts. We're just like, all right, it's about to get cold, but they should be moving. Like this, this is the day. This is that early November when it was hot. And then everyone was like, that's the day it's going to happen. That's the day it's going to happen. And we're getting ready to head in, and we look up, and we see a pretty good eight-point chasing a doe across the field. That is the first time I had seen anything cruising, chasing anything, and it's second week in November, um, the early second week. It's like the 10th, 11th, and we're sitting there about to go in, and we see a guy come, pull up, and he pulls up in the middle of this property. I'm like, well, there's somebody else heading in. Let's just go where we're going to go, and hopefully we don't run into each other. You know, we already, we're already here. We start walking, and there's a guy on the far end of the property. So there's three of us on this tiny property. And I'm like, yep, here we go. I thought we got away from people, but nope, they're here. And we go in and we hunted it and ended up passing. My dad decided to pass probably 120 inch nine point. And we hunt that morning. We go back out and one of the guys drives by and it was the guy parked in the middle of the property. And he was super nice. Came up. was like, Hey man, you know, I'm a local. I live here. Just want, I hope I didn't mess y'all up. I saw you park there, but I went where I was thinking about going. I just didn't want to mess you up. It's like, oh, we never even heard you or saw you. And he started showing me trail cam pictures and everything. He's like, we're all in this together. And like, this is the guy you want to have. He's like, I tried to talk to people before we head in, but I saw y'all already started walking and I couldn't catch you. Um, whereas I've had guys that will pull up next to you, look at you, give you an ugly look, fly down the property, get in, just start to run in. And I'm the kind of guy that if you're going to, if I pull in and you're already there, I'm just going to say, hey, where are you heading? And if you're heading to a complete different area, I'll say, hey, I was going to go here. You, you cool with that? And if they're like, no, nah, man, I'd, I wish I'd appreciate it if you didn't. Then I won't because he was there first, and that's fair. But you, most guys are like, yeah, man, I'm going here. You go there. That's cool with me. Hopefully one of us gets one. Um, so with all that being said and all this pressure we're talking about, if anyone's listening, just talk to people, man. I know everyone says it. It's almost cliche at this point, but there's a lot of people that don't do it. Just talk, and you'll find out where you go, and ultimately it'll help you out so you don't mess them up, and they won't mess you up. 
and you don't have anybody trying to slash your tires or anything crazy. <laughs> um, but it, we hunted there that morning, salt went, so saw, you know, a couple little bucks at nine point, some does. Uh, that was it. That evening, didn't see a whole lot. I was like, well, dang, this place just seems dead. We went and we went in there. We saw a few scrapes, but not like the year before. Didn't see a whole lot of rubs. And so I was like, this place just isn't on yet. So we had this property we'd been hunting, and it was like a magical number. We would see 14 deer every time. I'm almost convinced at this point that they'd be the same 14 deer if it wasn't for a few bucks that actually, you're like, hey, it's a different buck. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I think I went three or four hunts in a row seeing between 14 to 17 deer. And the morning that I went in on the 19th, I went to this same area. We've been seeing a bunch of deer. It's a spot we hunted last year, and I just kept telling myself, when it turns on, it'll turn on. Because the rut was late this year for us. And I know other people saw deer cruising and chasing early November. I didn't find that anywhere. But two, three weeks into November, I started finding that. So I was just waiting for this to happen. And I was at that property, and it was the same story. Saw about 14 to 17 deer, uh, little bucks. They weren't really chasing, bunch of does. Um, And I was talking with Trey, and he's like, dude, we've been having a good dime point on camera at that property. You know, like we, we checked it, we'd seen it. We knew that he'd been in there. He's like, you might go try it. I goes, I know it wasn't on last week when you were there with your dad, but a week in November can be a huge difference. And so I decided like, man, that's a tough call to go all the way. That, that means two hour drive. It's I think 11 o'clock. Cause I was trying to sit till 11 or noon. So I eventually after sitting there and going back and forth in my head, I said, screw it. I got to be, and this is one thing we tried to tell ourselves this year is you got to be willing to move. Deer are there. That's good. But are you seeing big bucks? And if you're wanting to kill a big buck, if you're not seeing it, yeah, you could could hunt the same spot all year and eventually it might happen, but you got to move to where the big bucks are, the big buck sign is. And there wasn't really sign there at that time, nothing fresh. I'm like, I'm just wasting time here, I feel like. So I decided to make the move, got back to the truck, loaded up, drove all the way there. And lucky enough, luckily enough, I pulled in and I sat there for a couple minutes and I was like, I got to get going. It's already three o'clock. Truck pulls up next to me and he just stares at me. Didn't say anything. He stares at me and then he left. So I guess he thought I beat him. I mean, if he'd talked to me, I would have told him where I was going and we could have done the whole, if you go there, I'll go here. But he just left it to me, which I mean, I'd rather have that happen than some guy walk in on me and I'm getting all ready to go. And I call Trey and I'm like, dude, I'm an idiot. We use Millennium tree stands, and they have a bracket that you slide that stand into. So my bracket is at my tree from this morning, two hours south. Oh, no. And I was like, it's either hot on the ground, which I had a spot that I thought I could tuck into some little, little oaks that would have good cover in mid to late November. I was like, I could do that. He was like, dude, do you want to be on the ground at 15 yards from that buck if he comes in? Do you think you'll get away with it? I was like, I don't know. Um I'm going to try ratchet straps. And it's got a little bracket that comes off the back of it, you know? And so I was like, I'll just try ratchet straps. So I go over to this tree right by the truck, ratchet this dude on, sit on it, test it. And I'm like, screw it. Let's go. I'm already killing time. Do all that. And it's a walk back in there. Uh, I think we figured it out. Isn't it just between, it's all, it's under a mile, just under a mile, isn't it? Mm-hmm. But you got to go across the field, through some creeks, cut through a couple creeks. And you finally get up and, uh, it was on an inside corner, which we haven't talked about this, but I would say the key to Kansas is there's ag everywhere. Not all, not all properties have it, but there's generally ag either on a public property or on the private that borders it. The inside corners and outside corners of fields and 
turns and creeks, topography that can, you know, help pinch deer down has been our ticket. So I was hunting an inside corner where we had a pinch between what was supposed to be a creek, but drought, but either way, it still pinched the deer. I mean, that creek's normally there inside corner of a cut bean field and the deer funnel through there and they head to all different directions. It's like a little hub. And a lot of the areas we hunt are like that inside corners that create a pinch with a fence, whether it's a ag field that's on public or private and it will pinch those deer down and it really kind of helps increase those odds that if something's moving through it's moving through by me so i went into this inside corner i got in there i'm sweating i'm just like man i'm running late i don't have my bracket this is a spot that there's i don't for the wind we love to hunt it with i swear there's not a perfect tree every time i look at a spot i'm like if i could just put a tree right there money so i go in this skinny little tree that i'm like it's here. It's got back cover. If they come from anywhere from in front of me, I'll have cover behind me with these oaks. If they come from behind me to my left. I'm skylighted. It's going to be in screwed. So I get up this tree and I'm just losing it. I'm about to just say everything in the book. I'm frustrated. I'm running late. It's almost four o'clock. It's getting dark at five 30. And I'm like, man, I should have been here earlier. And, uh, I'm using my DSLR cause my a normal video cameras messed up and I get the lens on that. I can't get it out of my bag. It's just like I'm at the point I'm about to just leave it all in the stand and go back to the truck. You know what I'm talking about when you're like, Oh, I'm just done already. And I do all that and I slam my seat down and I go to sit down and I'd been hearing something. And every time I looked over, I didn't see it. So I'm like, it's thick right there. It's probably a squirrel slam my seat down and I go to sit down. And I look over and he's at 25 yards, just moving his head through this brush. And I'm like, Oh crap. So I stand up. I don't have an arrow knocked. I put a sight cover on my sight just because uh, my dad a couple of years ago broke a pin on his sight, pulling it up, his bow up in the tree, got hooked on a limb, snapped his sight pin, and he was like, nope, not doing that again. So we all use sight covers. So I'm sitting there like, don't care about movement, don't care about moving slow. I'm like, I'm just going to go for it. I'm putting an arrow in, I'm ripping the sight cover off. I luckily have my release on, and I literally took my bow off my bow arm and just turned to full draw. And he comes behind me to my left, the one place I'm as skylighted as can be. And I'm like, all right, cool. When he turns to leave, I'll just slip it in there and I'll be great. Well, then he turns to come at me. So I turn to my right, waiting for him to walk out. And at that point, he just stops and stares at me. I'm like, dang it. Why not? You only live once. Let's go for it. <laughs> I just turn. I just point my bow right at him. I'm like, I'm just going to just rotate back and see what he does. And he looked at me, and I knew if he he was behind a tree, so I was like, if he turns to his left, he's gone, that's it, it's over. But if he turns to his right to bolt, you know how they'll kind of dip that shoulder and turn, and then they explode off that? It's like when he turns, I'm just going to put it right behind that shoulder, and I'm going to try to blow through that opposite side shoulder. And I was like, as long as he turns right, and I'm just sitting there holding it back for 30, 45 seconds in my head the whole time, like, Jesus, make him turn right. Come on, Lord, help me out here. Make him turn right. <laughs> and when he turned right, ended up putting it in there, and he ran – 40 yards fell over and I was like, that's it. That's the big, heavy nine point, the heavy, tall nine point call my dad. I'm like, dude, 60 seconds in the stand. I'm tagged out. I'm as pumped as can be called Trey. And, uh, by the time I got down, went over there, come to find out it's not a tall, heavy nine point. It's a eight point, you know, good mass. He holds it all the way through his beams. He's got pretty good height. Uh, and it's a buck we'd never had on camera. Check the camera, no pictures of him. just November cruising through and, I mean, it's the shortest hunt I've had. From the time I was actually set to when he died, it was literally less than a minute. Like, obviously, in the tree, I'm getting, pulling my bow up, all that. 
whatever. But by the time I had a bow in the tree and I was like, all right, I could technically kill a deer now. He was already there. And within 60 seconds, I had a shot off. And I was like, what just happened? I mean, I'm running late. If I had done anything differently, it wouldn't have happened. If I had taken it five minutes longer in the tree at the first spot and thought, do I really want to move? Should I stay? Like it wouldn't have worked out. It was just one of those that I wasn't afraid to move. Probably should have decided that a little sooner and made it work. If you'd have took a pee and shook it one too many times, you'd have been out of luck. <laughs> Dude, it, was, <laughs> it was one of those hunts. I mean, I was mind blown at how, I mean, thankfully there was a lot of wind and he, he was going through thick stuff, wasn't looking, but I've never had, I've had some does or like if I've hunted private and I've got feed where they'll come running in right when I get set, but I've never just on public, no feed or anything, bringing them in, just deer moving through, been set and just been like, there's a buck right there. And, uh, it was kind of, it was a panic, but it was, it was, it was a rush for sure. But, um, that was the 19th. And then I'll be honest, I hunted with my dad a ton. That was my third time hunting a solo all year. Cause I hunted with my dad. I didn't hunt with Trey till late season. I hunted with my brother once or twice. Um, not coming that was the, with you the next day. Yeah. No, was, oh yeah. After that, I'm saying like before that though, oh, I hadn't hunted yeah. with you. No, we didn't um, hunt much together at all this year. No. But that is the, other than the 120 we passed the week before, that was the second, what I call shooter buck I had within bow range uh, of the season. And last year, by that point, I would have said we had seen, I don't even want to start counting how many shooter bucks we'd seen. And this year, between the pressure and the people and the having to move, it definitely tested our, like put our skills to the test a little more on like, one, how did our scouting go? Two, what can we do to be more efficient? Um, and kind of break down based on conditions, what properties would be better. Uh, and, you know, evaluating what pictures we had had as well. And so luckily that one came together and worked out. I like I, that situation that you're describing, like you're in full draw and a deer's looking straight at you, like, or just something's happening when you're in full draw. Like I, I call that like handcuffing. Like you, like something's got you in a point where you have to make a decision and I feel like that is something that comes with the more maturity and the more shot reps you've had and the more deer that you've killed where you're just like, I'm, I, I might mess this up, but I'll be God if I don't try to shoot mm-hmm. this deer before he runs away. Like right. I'm going to do everything. I, I, when I was 14, 15, 16 years old, heck probably two years ago, if I'm in full draw, I'm like, oh, I'll just wait till he settles back down. Now I'm like, Phew. Now or never, baby. And I'm yeah. I'm moving over trying to shoot that deer. Mm-hmm. I, I love that you did that. That's that's exactly what I would do in that situation too. Oh, for and sure. And it's just one of those that like if he had turned left and I had to shoot through those limbs, I, I don't know that I would have done it because it, it was the way the tree set up that he was behind, I was like, I'm not gonna sneak it in there. And if I do, it's by the grace of God. But if he turned right, I was like, I was confident enough on a 10 yard shot. If he turns, I know my ability, I know I can put it where I need to put it. Um now, if he just like backed up and bolted, but you know, you deer don't do that. They don't just like turn and like that. They usually will take a step forward and they'll have that like step of, should I go? Yeah, out. And when he took that step, I knew I was like, yeah, he's done. Like I, I had 100% confidence at that distance. Though one thing that shocked me is, I mean, I shoot fixed blade, um, but I was like, and this just shows you how different, and you've seen the pictures, how different it is shooting an Eastern Oklahoma deer to shooting a Kansas deer. I mean, everybody says built different. Those deer are built different. Like they got some bodies because 
if that it was an Oklahoma deer, I've taken that same type of shot, that same distance. I blow through both shoulders, no trouble. Or even if it's one shoulder, I blow through it, no trouble. And I went through that offside shoulder, and I was like, my arrow's buried in the ground, done. And in the video, I talk about looking for my arrow for forever, and I can't find it. And it's because when I went to gut him, the top end of my fletchings was inside of him, just that. And I broke, he broke the rest of the arrow off. So I passed through all but that. But generally, when I shoot a deer at that distance, buck, doe, whatever, in Oklahoma, I don't just pass through. I pass through it. I hit dirt. And so it's these deer are just thick. And so keeping that in mind, I'd, I'd kind of learned from my year before uh, that big buck I'd shot. I thought he was broadside, but he had turned his chest to me. And I, generally, even at that distance in Oklahoma, I'm passing through that deer. In Kansas, those deer are bigger. There's more like we've, when we've caked them, when we uh, cut them open, the fat difference is insane. On, on like between Oklahoma deer. I mean, his, his buck, golly, in October, how much mm-hmm. fat do you think that thing had? Dude, I have pictures on my phone from when I caped that dude out. It's, there were sections on his body where there was at least three inches of fat like around his muscle. I couldn't believe it. I like was literally holding my Gerber knife blade up to it. And it's like almost as long as the three, like three inch blade. Like it's insane. I'm like, there's that much fat around that deer's hams and stuff crazy which i know they work a lot of that off in november you know oh yeah still it's a lot and they're just the deer around here yeah they're just it's bigger and you've got more to pass through um but yeah it's one of those that i mean trey can tell you this and i'm not trying to sound cocky when i say this but i'm usually pretty good about being super composed once i draw my bow back Uh, i'm not saying i don't have little blackout moments but Usually I'm able to like, as it's happening, calm my breathing. I can focus myself. I don't look at the rack. Once I know I'm shooting it, I don't look at it again. I try not to work myself up. And so I think that's what helps me is the whole time I'm just breathing and kind of going through what I normally do. I have a set few things I tell myself once I've drawn back and I'm just sitting there trying to relax, trying to relax. And it really helps me to make those shots and execute some of that stuff. Have I made poor shots and been unlucky? I mean, it's hunting. If you say you haven't, well, be careful. Knock on some wood because it's coming for you when you're bow hunting. Um, just, just how the sport is. But uh, thankfully, I, I'd, I'd done enough reps and practiced enough that I was able to keep my composure in that situation. And even though it's something that you think it's it's done, it's not going to work, he's seen me. If, if you know how to play your cards right and be able to make a quality shot that you've worked on in practice and you have confidence in your setup and uh, your system, then, uh, yeah, it's definitely something that, will help you prepare to do that. A lot of those decisions only come from experience too. Yeah. Like that's doing just, it wrong. That's how I've learned. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Like, you know, him saying that, you know, he is very well composed most of the time. Like dude, if we're hunting together and a deer comes out and he's going to get a shot, I almost never worry. Like I'm like, he's gonna, he's gonna kill this thing. Me on the other hand, dude, I go straight ham. I can't remember anything like filming's the only way I know where my dang arrow went. <laughs> like my uncle used to laugh at me when we were, you know, about the time I split off from him, you know, and started hunting on my own, you know, 11, 12 years old, I would shoot a deer and he'd be like, where was he standing? I'm like, uh, somewhere right there. On top of like, me. Yeah. Where'd your arrow hit? Oh, somewhere on his side. Like, you know, I'm like, bro, once I see that deer coming, if my brain knows you're shooting this deer, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it's just a blur from there. I'm getting better <laughs> as I get older, you know, but, but yeah. So if we, uh, I- I'm going to 
change it up just a little bit on you guys from the questioning. So mm-hmm. if we had to sum most of this stuff up on all the success that you've had, if you had to boil the success that you've had specifically in Kansas on public land, bow hunting into a single word, what is it that helps you have all the success? And example would be obsession, patience, whatever, whatever word you want to use to describe it. And it could be something different for each of you. What do you think that word would be? What comes to mind? It's mm, a good question. <sighs> I got mine. I'd say adaptability. You just got to know when something's working, when something's not, how to adapt, and then just trust that. I mean, it's easy to say, like, I've seen deer in this spot stay in this spot. But last year, we both of my bucks have come from the ability to adapt, just the ability to say, hey, this I don't know if this is quite working. Let's go try something or let's go move um, and not get so stuck in a spot because the buck last year that I shot – we were actually hunting in an area that was by the camera that I had hung last year. So I only had one camera and we'd actually got a picture of the buck I'd killed on that camera early in the year. Didn't even realize that it was the same deer, but Trey that night was like, dude, let's go try something new. So we went, he's like, what do you think about going down here where you had marked this summer? I was like, yeah, man, I've been wanting to go look at that. We just haven't been down there. He's like, well, screw it. Let's just go try something new. Let's go do it. We went down there and literally, Walked in, we're like, we'll just, we'll still hunt our way to the air, you know, your pin. We'll start here, still hunt the whole way, literally where we started. I mean, we walked 50 yards. There's the doe, buck follows her, they run off, the buck I shot came through. This year, I'm seeing deer. And usually it's one of those things like, it's hard to, I mean, guys say it in fishing, it's hard to leave bite, fish that are biting, right? I've got deer. Got deer moving through. It's hard to leave when I've got doe after doe in November, and I know it takes just one time, one doe that's hot to bring a big buck through. It's hard to leave that because you're telling yourself, like, I might move and see nothing. I might not see deer. I might be in the wrong area, but you just got to have the ability to adapt and trust those instincts of, yeah, why not go roll the dice and try something new? Um, Because honestly, that's the, if I had been sticking with what was working, quote-unquote working to where I was seeing deer, I wouldn't have killed either one of those bucks. But since we decided to change it up, switch it up, trust what we've done for boots on the ground, map scouting, all of that, um, and if it doesn't work, you learn something new and you go back to the other spot. But I think the ability to adapt is huge and not just get stuck in a do-everything-one-way. I think that's a great point. What do you got, Trey? I'm going to go with another sitting in a very – tasteful option, but I'm going to go with time. And that's kind of an umbrella, you know, word because so much falls under that. But a lot of our success has come from just time put in, man. I mean, from scouting to cameras, to hunting, to everything. It just, I don't think we would be near as successful if we didn't put time in. It sucks because gas is expensive and you know, you're getting less sleep and, but I mean, that's how we found everything we found is just putting in time, you know. Um, I think it's going to help you out a bunch, whether it's going in the summer or just taking a little bit of time. If you've got seven days, take a day or two and go find them because we've done the whole just show up and try to hunt off the map and it don't turn out too pretty. It can happen like that, but most of the time it don't. If you put in a little bit of time and find them, it will pay much better. But on the flip side, too, with that spend time map scouting, 
and then put the boots on the ground to see all your waypoints. Right. So, yeah. I mean, our freaking Onyx looks like a Christmas tree with how much we've color coordinated and all that. And I think I've said that before on here, but we will look at a spot, like put, we have spots on Onyx that we mark, we go in, oh, this sucks. This doesn't look good. This wasn't what it, we thought it would be. But then we have spots we go in and we're like, yes, we need to be here. And that's where they had like that night I killed that buck last year. We had it marked. We had it marked all season. We didn't look at it in September when we hunted early in the year. It didn't go in October. We just decided, hey, let's go try it in November. Um, and so we've put, put in the time and we've map scouted and we it's worked out for us. Uh, I was just thinking every single deer we've killed in Kansas came on a waypoint that we had like a marker that we had on Onyx before even stepping on the property. We had marked all the spots we've killed deer. And so spending time looking at maps and trying to go like really fine tune, not just, Ooh, this area looks good. It's got ag and woods and creeks. Cool. market. It. It's really looking at, all right, there's an inside corner here and it pinches with the Creek on the property. That Creek's deep enough. Those, those bucks will run between the Creek and the inside corner, stay in cover, sit, check the field, look at the field, like really fine tuning, not just this property looks good, but where on this property would I want to go if I had one day to kill a buck and I could only use my map to figure it out, where should I be at? And that's where we try to do so we can boot, like save time, be efficient. When we put boots on the ground, go to that area where we think would be best, confirm it, or nope, this doesn't look good. Maybe check some other stuff on the property and then move on to the next one. I think that's a good point. I liked what you guys said when you said just showing up on Waypoint and hunting is not the way to go because one of the mistakes that I feel like I made this year since we're on the Kansas train is I would go to a spot and for sake, I did not want to spend a single hour, a good hour of hunting outside of the tree. And because of that, I put myself in a tree in a spot where I was like, well, it's not really where I want to be, but at least I'm in a tree. And it's like, it's Kansas. So yeah, it's can, it can which happen. That can also work. It could happen anywhere. It oh, could. For sure. It could. Sure. But I told myself, I was like, listen, I'd rather spend the next three days looking for a deer, finding a deer that I want to go after and a spot that I have confidence in and spend one day hunting instead of four, just jumping in random trees with no sign. And I've, we've done that in the past and that does not work. And the second that I decided to take an evening and just go look around, found 160 inch deer, 30 mm-hmm. yards from public and a bunch of, bunch of good bucks. I didn't end up shooting a good one, but I shot a buck on the ground and I had encounters with some pretty good bucks so on a cool property because i've been on that property because we both had it marked so that, that's a cool property so yeah it's no, cool that you got it done on that setup and that style of property yeah After no, looking it at it cool too place. i'm like this is an impressive place to kill deer oh, oh yeah oh yeah yeah man it it really helps just putting a little time it doesn't it doesn't happen for everybody like it happened for chris b it just doesn't oh god <laughs> you know and you know even him he was there because he saw a buck so you know, that was his little bit of time, you know, but yeah, that's, I'm excited to go back to Missouri at some point because I've put in a lot of time, uh, not boots on the ground yet. I'm going to do that this year, but I've, I've done a lot of map scouting and I think this spring before crap starts to grow, I'm going to go back and, you know, do some looking because the last time we went up there, that's just what we did. We marked something, had a little bit of historical knowledge from somebody else and, went up there and we're trying to learn it while we hunted it. And it just, it was the same tough. thing as you in Kansas though. Like you said, you felt like I would rather spent time looking and then hunt compared to just hunting and hoping. Mm-hmm. Cause we did that in Missouri. We went September and October. 
because their season hunt lined up. I couldn't go in November, and he decided to go with me. And you can't bow hunt during their rifle season unless you buy a rifle tag. Um, and so when we went September, October, we went September, had a little bit of success, and we were like, how oh, we're in the kind of the right areas or sign. It might be early season. It might be nighttime sign. I don't know. Let's try it in October. Did the same thing. Then the last, what, day or two, mm-hmm. we said, let's just go walk around this place and go to some of these waypoints that we'd marked that we haven't been to and see what we could find out that way if we ever come back. And we went and looked at three waypoints that we had marked. And we hunted a few of our markers and like they worked out like in terms of we saw a few deer, the sign was there, but we just didn't find big bucks. We went to three of the other ones like, let's just check these. I know that's a little work, but why not before we leave? All three of them just absolutely torn to shred with rubs, scrapes, everything. And we're like, imagine if just in September we had gone into these areas probably seen some of this sign maybe got it done then if not even when we came back in october went and checked them all again and said whoa this has got this has got deer i think it could have been a completely different hunt because all three of those we left kicking ourselves the whole drive home mm-hmm. dude just what if we had hunt, like gone in and looked at that spot and actually scouted a little bit like we would have had four days to hunt it Mm-hmm. A buck's been there in the past four days. Like I, I completely believe he's like, Oh dude, me too. Like I think we would have got it done and we're sitting there kicking ourselves. But I would say that experience is what helped us in Kansas because one of the first things we said was we're not doing what we did in Missouri. We're not making the same mistake. And it honestly, I think, I think going to Missouri is what's helped us have success in Kansas because the lessons we learned there have helped us to be efficient to now have three good bucks on the ground. And I would technically say fork is one of our, other buddies he didn't get on film but wesley killed a good buck in one of the areas we'd also marked um and we'd been into and we'd seen boots on the ground and so that's just another deer that's been killed in kansas that i would say you know map scouting paid off for us and our efficiency and our time all of that going into it worked out Uh, and i really think missouri kind of laid the groundwork for the success for us to have in kansas yeah out of all of us wesley probably had the best hunt in kansas this year because he he didn't get any of it on film. He didn't have a camera with him, but um, he uh, he had kind of talked to me the night before and was like, you know, where do you think I should go? I was kind of thinking about going here, and I kind of gave him my opinion. We decided on a spot, and he hunted it that night, saw a few deer, and I told him, I was like, dude, I really think you should go back in there in the morning. So he did. He went right back in there, and I don't remember what he see, like seven bucks Seven bucks, two or three different shooters, and saw a ton of does, and then shot a buck that we had had previously on camera. This dude's just texting me all morning, like just saw another good one, and I'm like, my (laughs) gosh! And this is was it after you shot yours or before? Late November. After, yeah, it was after you shot yours. I think it was after Thanksgiving, if I remember right. Like, yeah, yeah, it was nuts. But yeah, I wish I would have been there filming that day because he uh, he had a heck of a morning. So yeah, I know it looked like it. Um. So even though this, this series we're doing is called successful seasons, there's a lot of people that didn't seal the deal. And I know we talked about a lot of y'all success for an hour, um, but just changing it up a little bit and on a, on a good note to end it on is let's, let's talk about an encounter this year that each of you had. That was your biggest close, but no cigar moment. It doesn't have to be because of a mistake you made, but a situation where you saw a buck where you're like, man, when I go to sleep at night, I still wish I could, if I didn't shoot the buck that I shot this year, I wish I could have shot that one. Can you each talk about a scenario where that happened in Kansas this year? In Kansas? In Kansas. Not, not your, not your big eight in Oklahoma. (laughs) (laughs) 
Do you have any? Go ahead. So you want me to go first? Yeah, sure. Mine's easy. First buck I saw that I had a chance to shoot was the one that I shot. I saw <laughs> so many people. I did not see a lot of big bucks this year. Um, but if I had to say one, uh, I mentioned we had a buck on camera that was that buck. Um, and he, he was a good buck. Don't get me wrong. But we went to a property and it was ironically this property I was talking about earlier that we hiked in a mile and a half to get our camera. Somebody's camera was there. My dad and I hunted it once in October. Um, and it's one of those properties, like I mentioned, I drove two hours to go to this uh, other property and it's because, I mean, two hours and what's funny is we're at the point now we're like, ah, two hours. Cool. Let's go. It doesn't mm-hmm. seem like it's that far. There's one property that we had gone to that it's like, if you hunt it, you're hunting it because if you try to change properties, it's like a minimum of what three and a half hours Oof. basically <laughs> to get any other property. It's just like, it's there bust. And when we had gone there early in the year, driving less than a mile south of it, we saw that buck. I mean, like he walked, he walked across the, we had two good bucks go across the road when we were driving. And I was like, dude, that's, I look like a big in. We fly up there and Trey's trying to get the camera on him and he doesn't see him. And I just see like, just frame mass. I would say maybe not bigger than the buck we jumped last year but probably the second biggest buck I've seen in Kansas just in general. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that is a freak. Like that is a giant. That is a 160, 170, maybe even bigger. Cause we pulled up, we stopped. I looked at him. He looked at me, he turned, he left and it was pretty thick. And I was like, did you see? He's like, dude, all I saw was when he turned, I just saw frame. And I was like, Oh dude, it was tines. It was, it the was only a giant. Ti- the only and- time I really got a good look at him was when he crossed the road. And then after that, I looked away trying to deal with the camera. But Which I is just like remember two, three hundred yards. And right. He looks that big at that far. I looked down the road like, you know, how, like you're driving down a road and it'll go so far down there. And this road dip back up the hill. Well, he's like in the dip right before it goes back up the hill. He comes out of this field, crossing the road into this, this pretty thick stuff. And, you know, it like a couple hundred yards when the horns on. Now, granted, he's in velvet, but when the horns on their head make their actual head look tiny from 200 yards away we both were just like oh my god connor's just like like (laughs) stomping on it you know and i i like i said when we got up there i didn't realize he was only what 15 yards from us oh he i'm just i'm I'm like trying to look through the camera and scan everywhere like where's this deer and he's like he's right there and then i just see through the brush just this giant frame turn and take off and i was like oh my gosh but he was less than a mile from the spot that we were going to look at. And there's nothing around other than this tiny little patch that he ran into. So you're like, you know, he's there's a lot of woods on this property that we're going to look at and nothing else around there. So you're like, he's going to be there at some point. At some point. And I'd say my mistake is that I didn't go try that other than once in early October. And I think it's just, I was, it's one of those, it's like, man, you really roll the dice going there because if you get there and it sucks, you're stuck there for at least probably the whole day, unless you make a big trip to try to get somewhere else. And by that point you miss the hunt. And I, I just didn't go there. And I think it would have been one of those properties I would have liked to go and see, because I think how we would hunt it. And I'm not saying we're something special, but I think how we would hunt it based on when we've walked on it before. And we've been there, we went there actually here just, uh, you know, recently. Um, and looking at where all the people hunt, and looking at where we would hunt are two different, and this is a big, big property, are two different areas. And I'm like, dude, all the pressure is there. 
where we would hunt is where we're seeing deer sign like crazy. And I don't know. I, I kind of wish I would have gone there because it's one of those properties that I don't think you see a lot of deer. Um, but when you see one, you're like, I'm going to see that deer. I'm going to see that one that's going to make the difference. And uh, I never went there. But in terms of making mistakes, I guess I would say I was mistake free this year in terms of encounters. Could I have maybe done stuff to have more encounters? I could. Yeah, but we don't have to get into all that. But in terms of the encounters that I had, I almost made a mistake by being, I mean, if I was 60 seconds late, it wouldn't have worked. So I guess I, I got lucky, but yeah, a few encounters, but didn't need enough counters to make it, to make a mistake. Yeah, I don't know if that's a good thing. You're like no mistakes, but didn't have enough chances to make mistakes. So <laughs> I, Trey, I got what about lucky you? this year. Sure. What about you? Oh, probably the one, um, we were talking about earlier. Um, I stopped at a small property in September and I just, I don't think I'd really stop and took the time to think about my access. It was 85. (laughs) Um, November, you do the right thing. I promise. (laughs) Yeah. Um, No, I just, if you look at this property on the map, it's basically just got a Creek bottom that runs through it. You know, you know how Kansas is. It'll have woods around the Creek, you know, and it's got a couple of strips of timber that run into it. And there's one side of it. That's, um, nothing you know it's just field meat and field but it's got a fence down it and it's fairly lower than the rest of the property and that's how i should have went in is followed that fence because the wind would have been in my face and i could have went right to the corner where all of these strips of timber met in the corner of this bean field and it's you know it's probably only three or four hundred yards in there four or five hundred yards but um there's parking on one side of it you know where they show the parking and I just whipped right up to there because I wanted to look at the property and I looked at the map and I thought, Oh, right here's where I want to set. Well, you know, my wind is coming from the woods blowing out into this bean field. And I'm thinking, well, I'll just walk right up the edge of this timber all the way to the corner and set up in that corner. My dumb brain didn't think, well, the deer that are here might be bedded in this Creek bottom, you know, and they're going to see you walking 80 yards from them up the edge of this timber. And so that's exactly what I did. And that's exactly what happened. I jumped a pretty dang big and right there off the edge of the, you know, woods. And it just all made sense after it happened. I stopped and relooked at the map and I was like, you dumb, but if you'd have just come up that other side, you know, like I said, once I got back in there, I had several deer come out of that bottom and, you know, come into the corner that I hunted. Cause there's like a tiny little patch of willows. Um, that's in, you know, I like the farmers will, when they make a corner in a bean field, sometimes they'll just like leave a little patch islandy patch right there in the corner for whatever reason. Um, and it was like, he mowed around the island. So it legit made a little Island right there. Well, them deer were just congregating around that Island and all of them willows were just stripped. When I got back in there, rubs, scrapes all underneath them. And I was like, Oh boy, like, you know, he was coming back in here this evening. And, and I don't remember what's there, but because we'd scouted this property previously, but that corner's a, like has like a little bit of a dip and it holds uh-huh. some kind of water and it's got good habitat diversity yeah. in that corner where they feed on a few different things as well as the beans. Right. So I don't mean to be that guy, but if he'd done it right, I bet there, I mean, that buck could have walked straight out in the field. You know, they'll be out in the middle of a bean field eating, but I think there'd been a good chance that buck would have came out and oh, I, his way on I down don't, to that corner. 
I don't have any doubt because I ended up seeing two different groups of deer that night. And some of them popped out right below me on a Creek crossing and walked right into the corner and started feeding right around those willows. The other ones come from about a hundred yards from where I jumped him and come up out and they hit the edge of the bean field and they just went right in the beans and worked their way all the way to me. And they all met up right there in that corner. And, you know, unfortunately they were all does, but, I just couldn't help but think all night, like, had you just come in the other way, he probably would have come right out here with the rest of the deer and walked right down here. Even if he come out a little later, he would have looked down there and thought, well, they're down there. Nothing's bothering them. So I'm going to go ahead and mosey my way down there. But again, that's how you learn, man. So that was, that was my mistake was just not really sitting there and, and thinking about it for a second, you know? So I will next time. Yeah, that's, that's how it goes. Um, Hey, that was a, that was an hour and a half. That was a good, that was a good pod. But before we go, um, where can people connect with you guys, your personals, whitetail mission, all the stuff that you guys got going on? Where's the socials? So we mainly use MySpace. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so you can find us on Facebook, just search whitetail mission. And we've got the WM logo with antlers. Um, and then you can find us on Instagram, whitetail underscore mission, and then all of our YouTube content and our hunts that we film, if you search Whitetail Mission or go to youtube.com slash Whitetail Mission, you can find us there. Um, and then we're trying to roll out a podcast of our own just because, like you mentioned, you started this because, one, it's a way for not only, you know, you to connect with people and, you know, get to meet people, but it's a way to learn as well. And that's what we said. I mean, if you're not learning, what are you doing? Um, and so we've, we've been trying to get into it a little bit to talk to some people, learn, and we've got some planned coming up with the kid that we talked to from Alabama a little bit and he was hunting in Kansas and we're going to talk with him and we're going to talk with a few other people. And so, uh, you can check out, uh, any of the podcasts, Apple, Spotify, all that. We've got that started with only a few episodes, but hopefully we get that going and grow that channel a little bit as well and start talking to meet some new people. That sounds good. Well, uh, appreciate you guys coming on. That was hey, fun. Thanks for having us, man. Yeah, it was a good time. We will Absolutely. definitely do it again. Thank you guys so much for checking out the Hunter's Advantage podcast. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Thank you guys so much, and we'll see you in the next episode.